Hey everyone, this is David Recupero with the Tech and Mental Health Podcast. And on this episode, my co-host is Harris Ayer. Harris is the Chief Medical Officer at CNS Dose. CNS Dose uses advanced gene testing to help patients find the right antidepressant faster. You can learn more about the company at cnsdose.com. Also, Harris is the entrepreneur in residence for Precision Mental Health at the Texas Medical Center. Today's episode, we interview Dr. Jair Suarez. Dr. Suarez has a couple of titles, those being Chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at McGovern Medical School at UT Health Houston, Executive Director of the UT Health Harris County Psychiatric Center, and the Director of the UT Health Center of Excellence on Mood Disorders. During the next 25 minutes, we'll talk about how Dr. Suarez got involved in mental health, his academic work in deep brain stimulation, his advice to what pain points mental health innovators should focus on, and how innovators can collaborate with departments like his. Hey, Dr. Suarez. Thanks again for being on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you give us a brief background on how you found mental health? So, so early in medical school, I, I already, you know, got hooked by the field of uh, behavior and uh, psychiatry. You know, I just found that to be a lot more interesting than anything else that I was exposed to in medical school. And, and that interest grew over time as I went through my clinical rotations. I also found opportunities to uh, get involved in clinical research, you know, with some of my, my professors. Uh, later... Uh, well, towards the end of medical school, it was no contest. I really knew I wanted to get into psychiatry, which I did, and uh, came to the U.S. to pursue further training and was very lucky to, very fortunate to be accepted into the uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center research track program. That is a department that has an excellent track record of developing uh, clinician scientists and um, has that's a, a very large department that's been very successful in uh, psychiatric research. I mean, for many years, uh, Pittsburgh has been the number one NIH-funded department in the country. So that was a, a, a wonderful uh, environment for my early formative years uh, that led me later to uh, pursue a brain imaging fellowship at Yale uh, School of Medicine for a couple of years. Once I completed that, I really uh, knew I wanted to come back to Pittsburgh and join the faculty there, which I did as an assistant professor. Stayed there for a few years. Uh, later, uh, had an opportunity to move to move down south uh, to Texas and was hired by University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio as assistant professor uh, to become a division chief for mood and anxiety disorders. Uh, rose to, to be vice chair of research for the department, became a full professor with tenure, uh, and later had an opportunity to uh, move to University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill with the task of uh, establishing a new bipolar disorder treatment and research center. And that was uh, an exciting new challenge that I embraced. And uh, unfortunately, a couple of years later, I uh, you know decided to uh, come back to uh, Texas. I needed, I had some family reasons uh, th that brought me back to Texas. And uh, around that time, UT Houston was uh, 
beginning a search for a new chair of psychiatry. So that was the perfect uh, opportunity for me. I had wanted to to be a department chair and I wanted uh, a, a place where I could continue my research in mood disorders, bipolar disorder, and saw some tremendous opportunity here with great resources. Well, first is this large psychiatric hospital that we have uh, under UT here called the UT Harris County Psychiatric Center at 274 beds. And uh, then all this excitement and collaborative environment through the Texas Medical Center, which is actually the largest uh, medical center in the world in, you know, volume of patients, uh, you know, being seen. Uh, so this really uh, has been a, a wonderful uh, professional home. I also love the community here. So the Houston has uh, been the, the perfect place for us to, you know, settle down and focus on uh, developing our research as alongside with, uh, you know, developing our department and taking advantage of all the, the great opportunities here. Now, I also understand you have a growing department at your hospital system. Can you go into some details about that? Our department has had very substantial growth the past uh, eight years, and that's something we're very proud of. The growth has been uh, clinically, educationally, as well as the research operation. Uh, with new resources from the state, we've been able to hire you know, several new faculty members. We've grown from 46 faculty members uh, eight years ago to now uh, you know, a little over 90. And uh, the volume of uh, patients that we also follow through our outpatient clinics has actually uh, increased by five times, you know, from about 10,000 visits per year. Now, you know, at last count, 50,000 visits per, per year for, you know, for the, the, the previous year. We also have a very sizable psychiatric hospital with uh, 274 inpatient uh, beds and that's an acute psychiatric hospital fully under UT that we fully you know manage as uh, chair of psychiatry I'm also the CEO for our psychiatric hospital and on any given year we see we have about 9,000 individual uh, hospitalizations and a lot of uh, care to to the underserved to the uninsured that we do through through our psychiatric hospital as well uh, at 274 beds you know as far as I know we are actually the second largest academic psych hospital in the country and there are some great new opportunities for us to possibly expand that farther we're going to know soon but it, it might be that the state will uh, give us some new resources to uh, you know build a, a actually a whole new hospital next to the one we already have uh, that would be, uh, we, we, we'll call that the, the continuum of care campus. Essentially, you know, having the acute hospital and then the ability to accommodate for different levels of care. That, that would be a transformation for the community. It's looking good. Uh, we don't know for sure yet, but we will know by the end of the month. So I, I'm very excited about that as well. Dr. Suarez, we're aware that you have um, expertise in deep brain stimulation in psychiatric disorders. Can you Tell us a little bit more about the project that you're working on and some of the exciting results that you found today, yes. please. Um, that's a very exciting uh, new project and development here. We, we got a grant from a local foundation, uh, the John, uh, John Dunn Foundation here in Houston. Uh, so the Dunn Foundation uh, has really uh, been instrumental in allowing us to you know, start the uh, project, the data collection. Uh, you know, through this early phase when NIH funds are often, 
you know, harder to get till you you have more robust data. Uh, we've now uh, done seven surgeries. The, the innovation here involves the part of the brain that's been targeted. Those are very refractory, treatment refractory, depressed patients. Uh, at the level of depression we are talking about here, folks, uh, I mean, have really, they, they've had very impaired lives and uh, lots of suffering. They are, you know, mostly unable to function. And they've tried nearly all medications available and they've also failed what's called electroconvulsive therapy you know ECT which is uh, still uh, it's sort of like a sledgehammer but still very effective for people who don't respond to medications many of them well anyway if folks fail medications they fail the ECT there is really nothing else to try uh, and that's where this experimental protocol comes I mean we uh, you know, got a approval. It, it, it's a, an approved trial uh, by the FDA. So we have what's called an IDE, which is, uh, you know, the means to test this new device for this particular indication. It's still just a small one-site study. and uh, But the results we're finding are really uh, exciting. Uh, out of the seven patients who have participated, one, we actually lost to follow-up. And then uh, we, we've had six others who participated, and uh, the percentage of patients that have uh, shown substantial improvement is, I mean, very impressive, you know, all very preliminary. Uh, we will have, uh, you know, more data to, to present soon. Uh, we did publish a, a preliminary paper last year at the Journal of Affective Disorders, you know, showing very encouraging uh, early results. So we are very excited about that. I mean, we uh, you know, hope to expand this trial and see if this may pan out as a viable uh, alternative to treat uh, patients with depression who have not responded to available, you know, commonly, commonly utilized available treatments. It does involve neurosurgery and involves placing a device in the brain that will deliver some sustained stimulation. The parameters for the stimulation, they can actually be adjusted as needed. And the part of the brain um, that we're targeting is called the medial forebrain bundle. While DBS had been tried in North America for a couple of other targets, actually three other targets, uh, this one had only been done once before in a small pilot study in Germany. And uh, the, their results were also very encouraging. So we, we really uh, became enthusiastic about that and decided to start a study first time in North America, you know, to, to test the the idea that stimulation to the medial forebrain bundle can possibly result in a long-lasting improvement for depression in patients who haven't responded to medications. Well, thank you very much for that overview. It sounds e extremely promising um, from from what you've outlined. That the the pilot data is is very 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 positive and and has the potential to you know, greatly improve outcomes for people that are severely affected by depression. Can you tell us a little bit about why you think that part of the brain um, is showing promising findings from a sort of, you know, uh, neuroscientific level? Well, it is really prime real state in the brain. So the pathways that interconnect uh, portions of our brain that are heavily involved in modulating our emotions, like, you know, also called like the limbic brain or frontolimbic circuits of the brain, uh, they, they really, uh, many of those fibers really 
uh, across through uh, the medial forebrain bundle. And uh, so, so, so in picking a target in the brain, you know, that is uh, heavily involved in modulating emotions, you know, that came uh, on top of the list. And but but the proof has to be in the pudding, and uh, you know, and that's so, so. Even though theoretically it makes a lot of uh, uh, sense, uh, you know, we, we we are doing the proof of concept study to to see if that holds up. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, fingers crossed that the data continues to be positive and, and promising. But it's, uh, it's certainly very interesting and very exciting work. So, Dr. Suarez, we want to shift now to talking about mental health innovation. And I'm very interested to get your thoughts as someone that has lots of different hats on, um, you know, advice that you would have for mental health innovators. So, do you have any advice um, as a as an academic, uh, as a co-editor of the Journal of Affective Disorders? Do you have any advice for mental health innovators? From, an, from your academic mindset? Well, well, first of all, I mean, the need is tremendous. And our field has been a little insulated and by many years guided by, you know, very old-fashioned uh, ideas that honestly didn't really lead us to where we needed to, to go, you know. Uh, thankfully, that has been changing quickly, primarily the past couple of decades, uh, but the fact remains that the brain is still the last frontier in, in medicine, in science and medicine. And uh, we know a lot less about, uh, you know, how the brain works and how these disorders, I mean, we call them disorders because we don't really understand the mechanism, otherwise we'd call them diseases, but how they come about and how we can best treat them. So, so far, there has been a lot of serendipity, you know, things that, have been shown fortuitously to work in many instances unexpectedly and and that's how some of the current advances have uh, come about. Uh, Well, in a time when neuroscience is growing so fast and uh, technology to study the uh, in vivo brain with, uh, uh, you know, in vivo imaging, I mean, those tools are becoming, uh, you know, better by by the year. Um, Advances in uh, molecular genetics and neuropharmacology. I mean, it, it's it's really great to or genetics. It, it's really great to be living in a time when psychiatry is finally embracing you know mainstream medicine and collaborations with uh, neurosciences. That's really uh, needed, and that's really what I believe will take our field forward. Uh, but however, you know the innovators can't lose the faith. Uh, uh, it's been a tough road. You will acknowledge that just the past few years, uh, two, three years ago, many of the larger uh, drug companies, they started to shy away from drug development in psychiatry and neurosciences because you know, they thought that they, they essentially realized that the failure rates were large. And then we went through this uh, period when there wasn't really much new coming to fruition, lots of like me choose, and that is really not exciting. You know, if, if you already have a drug uh, that works reasonably well, you're going to develop something similar that will cost a lot more and offer, you know, similar benefits, and, and then you, you get to be very petty to try to find a little advantage here and there, and so that that is 
not what I'm here for. I mean, that becomes really uh, boring, honestly, and uh, not uh, uh, encouraging to our patients and you know our colleagues in, in psychiatry. So, so we really need uh, people thinking outside the box, and you know, people who have access to new technologies that could help. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the need. The needs are rampant, I mean, across the board, I mean, from, you know, just uh, uh, real-time smart device deployed technologies that will help us best monitor what's happening with our patients and how compliant they are to, their, to, to, to the medications we prescribe to them, uh, help us, you know, pick uh, early signs that they aren't doing well. Um, you know, sometimes that could be you know, just uh, a device that they get to work or an app that we put on their uh, smartphones, uh, perhaps uh, clues from uh, voice recognition, you know, things that have been tested. None of that is really mainstream or readily available and shown to work, but uh, those are very promising areas, and it is great to see more people coming and testing out, uh, you know, new tools and technologies in, in these different areas. Well, then uh, another area that I'm very enthusiastic about, perhaps tools from uh, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning. I, I'm hopeful that those tools can help us develop, you know, better ways to uh, match, you know, patients with treatments and uh, predict the outcome, uh, you know, from. Uh, available therapies, uh, like perhaps we could pinpoint the patients at highest risk to uh, a very dreaded outcome, which is unfortunately not so uncommon in psychiatrists, suicide. You know, many of these disorders will put individuals at a higher risk for suicide. And, and our science to predict it isn't good, so there needs to, you know, to we need to do better in, in that area. Well, then just things like uh, many of the tools we have, like medication, psychotherapy, that do work. Sometimes they aren't really deployed um, as efficiently as they could, or they aren't as available in certain, you know, parts of uh, the country or the countries and communities that could benefit uh, from those as well. Well, and then later, uh, you know, we need also, you know, people thinking about novel. Uh, well, novel in psychiatry, you know, mechanisms and, and brain pathways that haven't been explored as far as their potential to, you know, modulate emotions and, and cognition, uh, uh, how we, pers our perception, you know, of reality where, you know, people may have hallucinations, delusions, and, you know, some of the symptoms of psychiatric uh, disorders. Um, but there, there needs to be... Uh, you know, more collaboration and search for uh, out-of-the-box ideas and targets. And hopefully, you know, some of those will pan out and, and bring real substantial uh, innovation to, to our field. So uh, the, the, the hope is, is great. And it, it is really a great time to be in this particular field. And as an innovator, I can't think of a better time to come and, uh, you know, enjoy the effort. But you got to be patient and can't lose the faith. I mean, it, those are not trivial problems, and that's part of the reason why, you know, what we know uh, about causation is, is still relatively 
I mean, modest, there's so much more that needs to be learned. And while we have treatments that help, you know, there's a big need for, you know, many, many patients who really don't do well with the available treatments, no matter what we try. So the, the need is huge. And it is exciting to be living in a time when, you know, more folks from different uh, areas, different disciplines are embracing this field and helping us challenge these important problems. Yeah. Thank you f- for that overview. It's good to get a, you know, a, a high-level summary of, of what the field needs, the issues, and then also the promise that, that's coming um, down the pipeline with new technologies. To one point you mentioned, Dr. Suarez, collaboration. Um, you're obviously leading a, a you know, eminent clinical academic department, um, and a lot of technologists out there are looking to collaborate with people like yourself or people within, within your department. Do you have any suggestions for technologists out there that are looking to collaborate with centers like your own or departments like your own? Any any sort of words of wisdom for them in, in the pursuit of that collaboration? Uh, well, great, great question. I, I, a lot of that, I think it, you know, it depends on finding the right person at the right time and catching that person's interest. And sometimes they will come after you, you know, if they know you are an expert on you know, certain technologies that would have an application. Um, well, conferences are actually a great place to find people in related areas, but people who do things that are so different than, you know, the approaches you're using, and it's it's really rich that way. So I, I would say, you know, be sure you, you know, come to some of the main uh, conferences, you know, to get to you know, see some of the, the the people in the field and, and uh, you will, you know, if you, if you start coming, you will see some of what the main challenges and, well, but then find uh, a person who will be a good partner to, uh, you know, to study the particular problem with the approach you bring to the table, somebody who, who's going to be excited about it. Uh, sometimes that is the leading or one of the leading people in a particular field, but other times, you know, it may be, uh, you may actually do a lot better with an up-and-coming person who is very enthusiastic and interested and more willing to to think uh, outside the box than with a very established person who, in a way, is a little more rigid on what the approaches should be. So maybe a combination of both, you know, have uh, more senior uh, people you are reaching out to, but also, you know, up-and-coming folks who will... Uh, be very excited about, uh, you know, different types of new developments. And so, so a, a combination, I think, uh, as far as uh, level of expertise, how far one is in his or her career, and uh, in, in finding that, uh, that right fit. And, you know, when it clicks, it is great. And that's a, a great collaboration, you know, makes uh, make things go uh, much faster and, you know, becomes a lot more exciting. Yeah. Okay. That, uh, that's great. It makes makes good sense. And and Dr. Suarez, um, you know, a lot of technologists and inventors and innovators are listening to this podcast. Do you have any reflections on the main clinical and health system pain points that you see at the moment that uh, you know innovators and inventors and engineers should focus their attention to? Any particular issues that that really could do with with more innovation? Right. Well, so our outcomes are still 
not nearly where they needed to be. When I say the outcomes, you know, for the patients that, that we tried to help, those are very chronic conditions and that really require, you know, continued uh, management. So I, I think focusing on, on tools that will help best help us commun- communicate with patients and best monitor uh, early signs of decompensation, bring them to treatment, you know, to, to, for us to change whatever needs to be changed, you know, as, as they evolve uh, as efficiently, as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I think that will really uh, help us improve very substantially the outcomes that we, uh, you know, have right now. Uh, and then um, on the drug development part, I think things need to really become more creative. And uh, as novel mechanisms are uh, discovered and the relevance of, you know, pathways we already have that perhaps we haven't realized, uh, you know, could, could be modulated in ways where psychiatric disorders would improve. So, so, so that, that, that type of innovation, you know, on the mechanisms we focus on and the targets we pick, I think that could be uh, greatly beneficial. It's, it's very high risk, but also, you know, very high reward uh, when it, if it pans out. And, and the, the other prediction in general, uh, you know, for some of the worst outcomes, I, I was talking about, you know, suicide. It is frustrating to us, uh, you know, how limited our science is in, in actually predicting, uh, you know, that outcome. And if, if we had better ways to predict uh, the individuals at highest risk uh, where we could then, you know, hopefully lessen that in a more effective way. Getting treatment for depression lessens the risk of suicide. Getting treatment for uh, substance abuse also does, but uh, still the reality is that, you know, uh, those outcomes still happen uh, very frequently no matter what we do, no matter what we try. So that science has to uh, improve as well. Well, then the other area is really early detection, early recognition. Uh, I'm, I'm, my uh, expertise is more directly applied to, you know, bipolar disorder. And in that area, only, I mean, many patients, most of the patients, there's a lot of uh, data actually showing it takes several years from actually developing the early symptoms to, you know, finally having a diagnosis established. So, so, so focusing on uh, biomarkers, uh, some could be genetics, you know, others, uh, neuroimaging, or, you know, perhaps some uh, protein chemistry that could be measured, uh, you know, markers that one could develop that will help us predict the risk for, you know, from folks who early on have behavioral uh, changes, you know, in childhood, adolescence, what are the ones more likely to develop bipolar disorder? The same is true for psychosis, schizophrenia. So, so there is... Uh, I mean, the, the needs are really um, um, all over the board. So, um, you know, great opportunities alongside with, uh, you know, very substantial challenges. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate uh, your reflections as, a, as an expert in the field that, that really, you know, is deeply embedded in, in the area and knows the issues that need to be overcome by invention and innovation. Well, that was the podcast. 
I'd like to thank Dr. Suarez for taking the time to do the podcast. This information you shared was wonderful, and our listeners will enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and if you want to learn more about the tech and mental health space, you can check us out at techinmentalhealth.com.